Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. I hope this finds you well and healthy and safe wherever you're listening to this. You know, it's pouring, like pouring rain outside my place right now. It's just coming down and, you know, it's that sort of somber rain feeling that invites you to stay inside, um, which of course is, uh, is a necessity uh, currently. I was reading a, a friend actually just uh, mentioned to me, you know, and Frank stayed inside a space for over 700 days and we're struggling with three weeks and i was thinking wow when you put that in perspective that's pretty wild and i said in the last episode that we don't like being uncomfortable like you know you think of the same we don't like when things are hard which is i want to separate hard from unhealthy because that's different when things are challenging versus toxic, right? Because I was thinking like, isn't it fascinating that as soon as something becomes challenging or uncomfortable, we leave a relationship, we leave a thing, we don't finish things, we don't see them through. And this is the same skill that's being invited of us to see this through, to not see that you're having to do that. Because of course, that's the language that the mind goes into. I have to stay inside. And then the little tantrum child in us is like, I don't want to stay inside. I'm going to show you. I'm going to sneak out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But this is really inviting us that we, we aren't having to. We're choosing to. We're choosing to for our own health, for other people's health. And... Um, when this all passes by, as with everything, this too shall pass. And when it does, I hope that we adopt. I have a really, one of my best friends, uh, Marty. He, we were roommates for a long time. Um, and he, I remember he had this great idea. It was one year where he said, let's do everything that was fun when we were five for the next year. So, you know, seemingly when, 
the rain would pour, we'd go jump in puddles and have fun. And we'd do this with groups of friends. We'd go tobogganing or depending where you live, sledding. Uh, we'd go and go climb playgrounds, go have fun, go do all the things that are about actually getting back into the curious, the curious eyes of a child to get back into the curious mind of, and getting back into play. Think about how little we allow ourselves to play as adults, but play is so important. Play is such a key part of our, our ability to stay in the space of wonder and what a beautiful way to face the world, to play with it, to play, to enjoy life. And uh, I believe that we are one of the beautiful byproducts of this experience is that we are being invited into introspection and also into the value of a moment, the value of our lives. I mentioned that on the last podcast that ultimately we're facing um, our, the truth of our mortality but it's not imminent, you know, for it's, it's like this thing we can't predict. And I think that's the part that is fascinating about this experience is it's not that you don't want to feel fear right now because we're all going to feel fear and fear is an important emotion because it mobilizes us. It mobilizes other emotions like anger and sadness and grief. Just it's about experiencing the fear and observing the fear, not letting the fear choose for you. Like you can be in fear. And I'm sure right now, you know, there's, I was reading some interesting things about couples getting divorced or like going through a lot of struggles right now that the Reddit and relationship forums are flooded with <laughs> questions like, how do I not lose my goddamn mind when I'm in such close quarters? And I think that's a real interesting thing is um, I heard two people discussing it and one saying my relationship is better than it's ever been. And the other person <laughs> saying my relationship is fucking falling apart. And the interesting thing about both those people is one, the first person, their relationship was healthy going into the spatial privacy. That's what I was calling it. Uh, instead of social isolation, spatial privacy by choice. Their relationship was healthy prior to that. And the other person, their relationship was really struggling. And so this is going to be a magnifying glass to those things. You're in a super compressor. But you also have to remember your boundaries are more important now than they've ever been. They're more important to say, I can't hang out with you because your health literally depends on it. And also to say to your partner or your roommate or your parent or your kid or whatever, um, depending on the age of the kid. So please take that. Uh, don't don't get into the gray of that. Oh, if my kids do, I can't do this. Yeah, I get that. Let's let's process this from a non-reactive space. That you can say, I need some space right now. I need to go into my room, and I don't want to be disturbed for a couple hours. You have to ask for those things. But here's the thing: I want us all to be mindful of your boundaries. Currently, your health literally depends on it, and the people around you's health and the people you love. Now get this. This is because of a virus, right? Because of potentially getting COVID. Toxic people that need boundaries are also a virus. So what you're learning is that your health is always affected 
if you don't have boundaries. Your health is always affected. I hope that we learn through this, that we need, we had to learn boundaries because our health depended on it, that we're like, I actually can't hang out. I don't care about, like your feelings matter to me, but they don't matter more than my health. That is the exact same truth about all boundaries. So I hope that that sits with you, that your health is always affected when you don't have boundaries. So that's my PSA of the day. And speaking of information, because it's information overload about, and it's hard to get clear information about what's actually happening. Like what is actually happening? What is the truth about coronavirus? And so I brought on one of my best friends, Dr. Rob Graham. He's a a physician who practices in New York. He has Fresh Med NYC with his wife, Julie, and they're just incredible humans. And I had the the absolute pleasure of having Rob on the podcast. I had him on an Instagram live. I recorded it, took the audio, bringing it on here for you guys because it was so incredible to hear him speak about the truth of all of this. Like, how do you catch it? Do you stay immune? What is, <laughs> why do we need to socially isolate as in choose to spatially, to be private spatially? I like that. The language is important because as soon as you say, social isolation, you stimulate the mind goes, I'm going to be isolated and I'm not going to have social contact as opposed to the empowering view. And, and you might think it doesn't matter. The language doesn't matter. Language always matters. Your words create your world. Language literally creates your world and also can affect biological cascade within yourself. How you see the world is how you see the world. And you know, when they, uh, I think it's Wayne Dyer says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So let's be mindful of the way we're looking at things. So Dr. Rob Graham, he's on, he's got, uh, you can go check out his stuff at freshmednyc.com. And he's going to talk about at the very end, just about more info about his work and where you can find more of that info. And that's at freshmedu.com. So F-R-E-S-H-M-E-D-U, the letter, dot com. Anyways, without further ado, I want you guys to get this info. It's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's one of the most thoughtful, most brilliant humans. And he's so down to earth and authentic and real. And that's why I love him. And I love you guys. Stay healthy, stay safe, and have the best day ever. What's up, my friends? All right, let's do this. My name is Rob Graham, born and raised in New York. I yeah, am yeah. locked up in my house, uh, adhering to the guidelines that we all should be adhering to. Stay home. So I'll give you a little bit of background. So I am a Harvard-trained physician, board certified in both internal medicine and integrative holistic medicine. And when I obtained my fellowship in integrative medicine, I also got a master's in public health from the Harvard School of Public Health. And so for the past, say, 15 years, I've been trying to take care of patients one-on-one. And some of you have come to see me in my offices, uh, Fresh Med NYC in New York, uh, where I take (laughs) care of patients like any other doc, one-on-one, but particularly focusing on gut health, which uh, Mark would love to talk about this too, because it's so important. Two-thirds of our immune system is in our gut. So we can talk about that, what people do today. And lately, because of this coronavirus epidemic, I've been asked by our city councils and uh, other public officials in New York to give my two cents on, you know, what we should be doing from a public health point of view, 
what you can be doing uh, for your own health and well-being after listening to my wife who said, hey, Rob, you have to transform your practice to offer access. Um, about a week before this whole thing broke out, as I was starting to see what was happening out in China, I converted my entire practice uh, into telemedicine or telehealth. So right that means like this, video? It's video. Yeah, it's, it's just like this. It's just it's like Facebook Live, Instagram Live, but where um, we use a certain platform where uh, HIPAA, you know, patient protect uh, information that patients want to divulge are protected uh, via this platform. And so, but you know, in fact, the president, um, our our lovely president here, has decided to um, clear. Actually, he's done a couple of good things. Uh, not many, but he's done a couple of good things, like uh, prevent. HIPAA from being a, 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 an obstacle in going on Facebook Live or using Zoom for our patients to be in touch with us. So um, it's, it's an evolving dynamic time, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm not, there's definitely a lot of misinformation because so many people are getting their information from, I mean, unfortunately, from news sources that yeah, sure. tend, you know, as they say, if it bleeds, it leads. And so, so people understand, because I think there's a lot of misinformation, certainly I've read it, explored it, looked at it, about it being, you know, it's a regular flu, but it's not a regular flu. It's like a flu jacked up on contagion, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, right? So the really tough part about it, um, and probably 80% of my phone calls, is, you know, kind of addressing the pandemic of fear and panic. Obviously, there is a pandemic going on called COVID, but there's also a pandemic of panic and fear and anxiety that um, is, re is real. And part of the problem is that this virus, um, which is a novel virus, which many people don't understand what novel, novel just means new. You know, yeah. our, the human race has not seen this before. We have seen different types of COVID uh, coronaviruses, but this is a new one. And so therefore, we don't know our body doesn't know how to respond to it. So it's kind of an interesting, unfortunate, real dilemma that's happening right now. Yes. So this is a virus, just like the flu is a virus. Um, and that's really important thing to consider because just dispelling some myths right now is that an antibiotic typically doesn't work for a viral infection. And so patients right, are yeah. calling about, hey, I need an antibiotic. And, and in fact, understanding the, how viruses work, antibiotics don't have a role in a viral disease. The problem here is that we have COVID going on. We have the flu season going on. And right now, particularly <laughs> yeah, in New York, a lot of stuff. we have allergies. You know, we have the beautiful springtime, which unfortunately, some of us, like in New York, are locked up in their apartments, um, haven't had the opportunity to go out that much. And so what's happening is that you have an explosion of pollen and allergens right now. And it's causing the similar symptoms between COVID, uh, flu, and straight up allergies. And the other thing, you can get just a common cold. You know, because, again, what breeds colds, um, a common cold? Close-knit environment. So if you haven't isolated yourself, you should be doing that. But the greatest predictor of catching a cold is being among other people. And so, again, similar, colds, viral infections, upper respiratory infections, asthma is being triggered now, allergies are triggering asthma. So it is like it's, it's just like the worst time for this thing to happen. Yeah, and I'm I'm reading a comment on there that it says uh, any truth to the rumors of it being bioengineered. You know, I, I to that question, I'm sort of like that doesn't matter yet, right? Like, like regardless of whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter yet because mm -hmm. that's it like doesn't matter about it, it, the yeah, source. Exactly. Let's right now, we gotta it. we gotta fix it first. 
Right, exactly. We can we can start digging, and I think a lot of the public health officials are going to be start doing that once we uh, listen. the The faucet is running, right? We got to turn yeah. off the faucet, right? And what happened? We got to figure out that later because right now, you know, when you think about public health, there's a couple of things that um, I'd just like to bring up because one of the things that we are focusing on, particularly here in New York, the genie is out of the bottle, right? And so you can't get it back in. And so right now, what we have to do is what they call mitigation and containment. And so that what that means is that you have to get yourself away from other people that are potentially contagious. That's why that whole, you know, we talked about this before, Mark. Uh, social distancing is really physical distancing because yeah, we can spatial talk about privacy. That. That's it, what I've been calling it. Even it's, better, call it spatial privacy because words matter so much that when Absolutely. I hear people hear like social distancing or social isolation, it like triggers that part of the human mind that's that's afraid that you won't have other people around, which yeah, is scary. You know, it is scary. And I think this is such a wonderful platform. And I just want to tell you, you know, my parents, my, my mom is 81 and my dad is 78. Yes, he married, you know, she married uh, someone younger. Well um, done. That was back in, day, back in back those in days. Day. You're a product of a, of a rebel. I like that. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, what, what's interesting about them is that they never use, face, you know, um, FaceTime. And oh, so yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I called my dad and I said, Dad, you know that button right there that says FaceTime? Hit it. And Mark, it was like the light bulb, you know, he was like, Oh, man, I love this shit. I'm never going to be just calling you. I want to see you. And it's really a, a <laughs> wonderful awesome. time, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's a great time to really connect with those that, you know, you often think of. And at this point, right, when you're, we are, social distancing or physical distancing, just reach out, man. You know, don't, don't think about, I should reach out to Mark. Just call Mark or call that person at at this point, because we're all in the same spot. We're all home. Yeah. We're all, we're in Canada just released a bunch of uh, support for people who are affected by the pandemic, small businesses, uh, individuals who are unemployed. Um, One of the questions that I saw in there that I agree, I I wanted to know more too, because I think there just needs to be more, uh, People keep telling me not to touch my face. I live by myself. I know. There's no, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get it. I haven't been around anyone. I'm, I'm isolated. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, and this is the only touch I get. So this is my eroticism. Okay. <laughs> so just let me have it. Um, but yeah, so I'm in terms of, cause I'm in the mountains. So I can go for a walk and I see other people and they go to the other side of the street. For people who are in a city like New York or who are in Denver or in Canada, it doesn't matter yeah. where laws permit. Can you go for a walk outside? That's yes. what people are asking. Yeah. Yes. So you, you just have to stay at a distance, right? Yeah. So I'm just going to keep it real with all you guys. I live on a 26th floor in Manhattan. About, I'm about four blocks away from Central Park, probably the greatest, one of the greatest parks in the world. It is yeah. a great park. Yeah. And it's like a refuge. But, you know, one of the things that I'm mostly concerned about is taking the elevator down, right? I got to take 26 floors. I'm, I, I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, being exposed to someone on the elevator. Um, and so one of the things, particularly in New York, now this is really important too. There are certain, this will affect everyone. You know, there's about 160 countries that have been affected by it. Now, a virus like this, it's really important to think about what's happened initially in America here in Seattle. That's what we call a cluster, Right. So there was a massive influx of this virus, particularly in a vulnerable population in a nursing home. And so it was that is catches like wildfire. Right. And so that's why the vulnerable are particularly the elderly with chronic diseases and who were typically in nursing homes, elderly with chronic diseases. Right. Yeah. And so that's all the the, like most sensitive people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where that thing just blew up like that. And unfortunately, 
you know, killed a lot of people. That's in Vancouver too. It's been in uh, five nursing homes. Yeah. And so that's, and that's really a big concern right now because, you know, us healthcare workers are asked to go out. Um, and that's, that's something too, that's really important. To, uh, what I want to talk about, but when, it, so the cluster in Seattle seems to be somewhat contained, right? Mm-hmm. But with oh, it a couple, is good. Yeah. With a couple of people kind of still having presenting with diseases, uh, the coronavirus, but in New York, what happened is that there wasn't enough, um, social distancing in the beginning. Um, and as you know, it's a Mecca, right? Everyone, you, comes rebel, to New York. you rebels. You yeah. rebels, strong opinions, poor social distancing behaviors. I know. Freedom. That's what we want, Freedom. right? Yeah. And that's what's the tough part about this whole thing, because uh, there is a cohort of people in America that believes that it's not up to the government. We're a free society and the government should be telling us what to do. I, I think that's bullshit. I think, you know, public health yeah. trumps everything. Um, and so we as a site where um, the initial migration, um, again, Trump did one thing, right? He actually closed travel from China immediately, which was, I think, a really important thing to to uh, contain mitigation. But after that, I don't think he's done anything, right? The other thing is that once Italy started blowing up, uh, uh, it, again, we were an entry point, and we just didn't do the social isolation or social distancing that we did, and that's why it's everywhere in New York. You know, we have, I think, sixty percent. I saw last night, sixty percent of all new cases are here in New York City. Sixty percent. Yeah, fifty-seven percent last night. How many uh, people live in New York City? Like, you know, in the boroughs? I think eight million coming in out of Manhattan a day. You know, at the height. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's why. Going back to your point, Mark. You know, if in New York, stay home. Just stay home as much as you possibly can. You can go out, but this is not a time that you know you can gather. Um, And I know we talked about it this weekend with your friends, Mark. You know. I wish we could, but at this point, because this is such a hot spot right now, social distancing six six feet apart is really important. And if you don't have to be out, don't go out. Um. So for me, I didn't go to like Costco and all the stores to go buy everything. And all you fucking assholes who went and bought like all the rubber gloves and all the disinfectant. I hope your ass got pulled off Amazon so you can make money off it. But I have no hand sanitizer. I have soap. But I have no hand sanitizer. I got no face mask. There's no rubber gloves. I've, I've got none of these things. I haven't been out in the place where I ordered groceries from. It's like a week out, of course, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, when I pick it up, they wear a single use set of gloves, put it in my car and they take off. Great. So, but they, you know, obviously I can't be certain of the groceries and all that kind of stuff. But what does someone like myself do then? Because I'm sure there's lots of people because there's so, there's a, couple dickheads who thought that they'd make a lot of money off the pandemic and then you know they bought all the toilet paper i don't understand that part because what are you going to just sit at home and shit are you do shit more when you're at home by yourself i didn't get that one but anyways my point is what do i do now yeah so just talking about your last point about shitting actually diarrhea is one of the symptoms of coronavirus oh yeah i heard that that's a recent ad isn't it yeah exactly so the first three things i just want to talk about symptoms really quick Fever is probably the most important. About 87% of all cases have a, a fever um, that doesn't go away, does respond to Tylenol, not ibuprofen. The studies on ibuprofen or Advil are still somewhat mixed. Um, so if you are having a fever, I would recommend taking Tylenol. Um, the other thing that's really important is cough, non-productive cough, typically dry cough. Um, and the last thing is respiratory symptoms, um, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing. 
Um, a couple of patients that I have seen said that it just feels like it's a tightness. It's, and I don't have asthma. That's the kind of, that's the kind of story <clears> I hear. Right. And so those are like the three top symptoms. Um, the other real big problem is exactly what you're talking about is that if you go out, the whole idea is to limit contact with surfaces because more and more data is coming out because the nature of this virus, it's called a, um, a respiratory droplet virus as opposed to an airborne virus. So that's good news, right? Because what happens is that with a respiratory droplet virus, you catch it through sneezing, coughing, right? And then someone else touches that and then touches their face, just like you are right now, Mark. Yeah. And so what I tell Breaking people to do so is that, yeah, I know. what I tell people, if you have to go out and get some groceries, right? Again, I, I, so what I do, I, I go out, um, if I have gloves and I'm running out of gloves, I will put gloves on. I'll go get the stuff I need to do, throw those gloves out. Um, I also um, bring my own bags because in plastic, they're saying that it can last anywhere between two to two days, the virus. Two, and that's two, a little days. Two days, it can yeah. last up to. Wow. On it. Yeah. And so that's where the whole hand washing is really, really important. And, you know, like you said, do people, you know, hoarded uh, alcohol and sandy wipes and uh whatever you call that. Sheet, I can't find that stuff anywhere. I know. But, you know, hot, warm, hot, warm, hot soap water is probably the most important time, thing to do. And then if you think you wash your hands enough, you haven't washed your hands enough. Right? Because you've got um, to wash it every single time you touch some other surface. And for people that don't know, uh, Dr. Rob Graham's Instagram is FreshMedNYC. Um, so, Rob, why is it that uh, some people have... Uh, no symptoms. So that happens, you know, quite a bit. So, you know, because I think it's in South Korea, they test so many people that they were testing everybody regardless of symptoms. And then they right. found that all these young people who are out fucking partying are like out spreading the freaking. I saw people playing basketball a couple of weeks ago. So at least they're adhering to the rule now, but they were passing Corona around with the ball. And I was just thinking to myself, like, it's so easy to be the bridge between someone who doesn't know they have it. Yeah. And someone's grandma. That's what yeah. people don't realize is like, yeah, you might not be around someone, but you could touch something. And then all of a sudden someone touches that and then the grandma dies. So why is it that some people are symptomless? So it goes back to kind of, yeah. So it goes back to the whole premise of microbiology and virology. And I'll just talk about that really quick. And so um, things need something else to grow on. Right. And so if you remember, like in, in elementary school and, and in high school, this, this notion of Petri dishes, right? You take a bacteria and you put it on a dish and you see what grows. And yeah. that's what we all are. Right. And it's all defined by your immune system. And there's other factors, but predominantly your immune system. And so if you have a strong immune system, you probably will be able to uh, counteract the effects of a viral infection. The good news about this virus is interesting. It's very infective, but it's not a really strong virus. And so, gets so killed by fairly strong immune systems. Yeah, exactly. And it's called the denatured R. It, it, it's an RNA virus, which in fact, by, by definition, it's, it's held very loosely. And so um, with a strong immune system, it can, it can battle it. And so therefore, that's why people who tend to be younger don't have, are asymptomatic. That means they don't have, they have the virus. But they, they don't, don't even have a symptom. They don't have a symptom. And that's where the dangerous mm -hmm. part goes into play. Because they don't right? know that they're hugging mom and dad and they're. Hugging grandma yeah. or whatever. And actually, so, I don't know if you saw those pictures. And it was just like I saw it coming when um, they closed travel restrictions, you know, and you started seeing people hoard in customs area. Like, I don't know if you saw that pictures of no. people coming from Italy. 
because they came within 72 hours from Italy and around the world into New York. Um, and it was lines and lines of thousands of people where we're promoting social distancing, but now they're in lines. Yeah, they like, can't you do know, anything. They can't do anything. And that's where I think it all blew up. Again, the symptoms can be totally asymptomatic. They typically start anywhere between 2 to 14 days after initial exposure. And so you're cool hanging out, doing your thing. And then, and that's what we saw in New York, right? Just, just, just last weekend, there were, there were people in a park. Um, and a good friend of mine, Ted, he is a, um, like a volunteer park ranger in city and in Central Park. And he called me and he was like, Rob, you should see how many people are out there and they're gathering. Um, and does he ride the horse like uh, on Home Alone (laughs) where they chase? No, it's not like that. No, he said, (laughs) yeah, Canadian, right? I'm like, did he have weird red pants on? Um, but did, so at least we're seeing that I think reduce. And I think for people who are watching this, I, I get the part that is like, especially for, um, the response to 9-11, especially in New York was you will not take our freedom. You will not like, you will not make fear, make it so we don't live our lives. But the hard part with that is like, if you see that you are being forced to go into your home rather than choose to go into your home, like you can instantly say like, yeah, it's a rule but I'm yeah. going to choose to stay in my house. And then right. it becomes your own choice, which I think is important for people who are rebels, quote unquote. But yeah. the other side of it, as you were talking about the flattening of the curve is if we can all stay isolated and not transfer to each other, then what happens is, is the virus stops spreading. So it essentially doesn't allow it to stay alive within the system, right? Well, you just can't pass it. Exactly. Right. There's, there's but, and we go people. long enough that that 14 days that probably I'm because when most people are going like, well, how fucking long is this going to be? And I'm sure there's many models of that. Mm-hmm. I was reading a really interesting article that was saying never in the forecasting of pandemics for models and war models, they call them in the U.S. Did they ever imagine that they'd have a problem with testing? That was never a part of it because. I guess that the way that the U.S. adopted testing was real horrible. Is that correct? That now? The, yeah, this, like for this oh, was just like a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, again, you, if you think about how um, this putting my public health hat on, right? Really, yeah. And so what's happened is that the greatest, you know, pandemic or epidemic that happens every year is what they call the flu. And, you know, the flu is real. You know, people think like, oh, this coronavirus is killing. You know, I don't even know what the numbers are at this point. But I think it's uh, um, what is it? up? Uh, it depends on the country, of course, because because yeah. we're not like because um, you go to South Korea and they tested so many more people. So the percentage of death of the number of people is 0.5 percent, I believe, um, in South Korea. But then you go to Italy and it's like, I think, up to 4 percent. Which is yes. pretty nuts. So that's so what you're talking about is a denominator. We we don't know what the denominator is right now, right? Because it's we're still testing. And the issue was that all epidemics that happened prior to this, this thing was really kind of based upon the flu model. And in fact the flu in the US still kills about fifty thousand people each year. Fifty thousand we don't really realize that, hey, but it but again, so for clarity for people, it kills it generally the virus gets people who have hot, lots of comorbidities, so lots of other factors, diseases, uh, those comorbidities are what? Respiratory, any respiratory, uh, so asthma, diabetes, type yep, one and disease. two, any type, yep. any type, heart disease. Uh, I would imagine those are all linked to then lack of exercise, smoking, obesity, um, obesity. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's that like, um, 
So then if it get, if those people get it, and that's why it's really uh, crushing uh, old folks homes is then it, it turns into an infection. Is that right? You were telling me exactly. that before. Exactly. So it, it gets, it, it allows some of uh, the virus to settle somewhere and then start replicating, you know, um, yeah, so that's that's the that's the problem with the whole notion of testing. The other problem is that we just didn't get our shit together. You know, we had enough time to mobilize a testing a, a strategy. That's what that's what problem. I just I just got to stop here. Yeah. The problem we have right now, right, is that it's go back to the old adage that we're only as strong as our weakest link. And the problem we have in in U.S. particularly um, is that we have a weak, broken, antiquated public health system and so when the sh- when shit went down we had nothing we had no strategy at that point and we're kind of trying to make it happen as it as it's occurring and so that's the, that never works that's never a successful preventive strategy right because now we're just trying to scramble to figure out something um and so the testing wasn't ever meant to be this kind of expansive and so now we're just trying to catch up because the way the flu tests went out we have a pretty good strategy for that. And in fact, that's one of the things that we're telling patients to do. Go, go to the, go to your doc or go to the, go to an urgent care and get tested for flu as well, because we just can't forget that Corona is the only thing that's killing people because there will be tens of thousands of people dying of, of, of just a straight up flu, the flu. It's interesting that that sort of now that, that awareness of what you're saying it, because this has become so magnified. That yeah. I think, what is the percentage of death from the regular flu? Uh, just I, I to give people some Just relation. about a 1%. I, I, it was at some point less than 1%, right? And this so is it's that, a little more. Yeah. So this was initially three times. And then each, each of it's changing because a lot of the preliminary data that came out of uh, China and Italy, it was old people, people with chronic diseases, right? Yeah. But now we're starting to see that about 40% of the people in our ICUs are people less than 40 years of age. Forty percent of people with with coronavirus in our ICUs are less than 40 years of age. So so what we saw, what we're seeing in Italy and China is totally different than what we're seeing here in the U.S. I wonder why that is. Do the younger people and is it due to more comorbidities in those younger people? Because I would imagine there is um, because the U.S. has a much higher rate of uh, obesity and and just like a general I mean, compared to other countries, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, well. Again, going back to your initial point, Mark, we'll figure out why this is happening and why guys have fifty percent increased mortality when they get COVID. By the way, men do. Thing. Men do fifty percent wow. increased risk of death with COVID if you're a man. And again, that probably goes wow. back to a lot of the you know lifestyle behaviors that that certain men do. It's the patriarchy killer. That's what's yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just gotta also say a couple of things because um, you know, as a doc, I've been doing this for about twenty years. And there's a couple, there's, I have a couple of beefs that I like to share um, yeah, because this yeah, is please. really what I'm seeing in New York city. And uh, it really pisses me off. Yes. So, and, and, and part of, part of it is that I'm waking up to this kind of phone calls from patients. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. So our broken public health care system, it's really kind of highlighting how important healthcare is, which yeah. leads to the point that in the U S Right. Our in health insurance is so tied to our jobs. And now we have no jobs and now we have no health insurance. And now we don't have a public option or any sort of health reform, which brings me to one beef I have. I had a patient who is 72 years old who's a sil- silver sneakers, which basically means that she teaches older people 
how to exercise in the YMCA. Mm-hmm. She lost nice. her job. She lost her job. Oh, wow. And then she has mild asthma. She can't get prescription coverage because she lost her job for an asthma medication. Again, that's a big problem, right? So now people yeah. who had jobs, lost their jobs, don't have access to medications or healthcare. So in the U.S., 80, 80 million people are without healthcare. And now that's just blown up, right? So now we have a lot of people without a job, therefore no healthcare, number one. Number two, I have a patient who has, I've known her for about 25 years. She has lupus. Lupus is a rheumatoid problem that the miracle drug for someone with lupus to put them in remission is called Plaquenil hydroxychloroquine, which you're hearing a lot now. It's a lifesaver for someone with lupus. We have stockpiled it. The government has stockpiled it, and people have been hoarding it. This woman called me in the morning two nights, two days ago, saying, Rob, what am I going to do? I don't have refills on my hydroxychloroquine because there's no more in the country. There's no more. Is that because the, they think it might work for coronavirus? So they, yeah. so they don't prioritize people already getting a prescription? No. So now they realize, oh, shit, now there's no more hydroxychloroquine anywhere. And so now they're going back to say, all right, the only way you can get hydroxychloroquine, which, again, Tony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, you know, in medicine, we prescribe things. Medications are safe and effective, Mm -hmm. safe and effective. We just don't throw shit out and see how it works on humans. Right. And so that's something I just want to dispel, too, is that we test things before they go to market for safety and then efficacy. So this, this friend of mine has no more. She has 30 pills of something that is life-saving for her. No more. Number two, no job, no insurance, I mentioned. And then now, yesterday, last night, my, one of my best friends, Mike Pinto, calls me up at 1030 at night saying, hey, listen, my aunt who went to rehab for a general knee procedure, you know, knee replacement, corona entered the re- rehab place. 36 people have now coronavirus. His aunt, who's 74 years old, is now in the ER. And you guys can go on right now, look online. Elmhurst Hospital, which is in Jackson Heights, Queens, where I was raised, 13 people died last night. This woman, talk about wow. rationing of care. They're saying to her, you're over 70. We're holding ventilators for people who are younger than you. All she went in for is a knee replacement. Oh my God. So this is the kind of shit. And on top of it, the nurses and the doctors and the staff there are downing up in, plash, in trash bags, and there's no masks. A mask is 75 mm, cents. I heard that. You know, and now they're saying that, you know what, um, just assume you're, you're, you're positive and just get to work. You know, and this is America. This is like, you know, one of the greatest countries in the world, if not the greatest country in the world, and you can't afford a fucking 75 cents mask, and somehow we are still waiting for it. So... There's a lot of things. And then last, mm. yet, last but not least, you know, yesterday kind of hit me real because uh, a dear chef, by the way, I'm also a chef, everyone. One of my chef friends uh, passed, Floyd Cardoz. Um, he was a chef and he died from coronavirus. And so mm. that was the first time it really kind of hit home that someone I knew who was a family man. He has a two tons. Um, he's 15, he was 59 years old. Uh, no real major medical problems, but he, he died. And so... Mm. I know I, I made it a little dark, and I know hopefully we can spend the next time, next couple minutes really just – this is real shit. This is really – But it's not dark. People. It's reality. People need to feel the reality of it. If we make everything puppy dogs and ice cream and, and try to make it so everyone just feels good, they avoid the true impact of, of, of life, of what's happening. You know, yeah. It's interesting that – I was listening to another uh, speaker yesterday saying like people kept telling her to keep things positive, and she said – 
at what point do we feel like just because someone's leading and speaking that they have to keep things positive, like a parent to protect us from the truth. And I'm happy that you don't do that. That's what I love about you is you're just always very real. You're yourself. Um, And you come with that queen's edge. I like that. (laughs) You know, we don't have that as much in Canada. Yeah. Talking about a Queen's Edge, you know, our our governor here, uh, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, um, his brother is also on CNN. It's it's Chris Cuomo. Last night he brought brought something up that I thought was really good because I know, you know, you and Julie both study positive psychology. And I don't know if there's Lewis is out there, you know, the great mastermind of positive psychology. Lewis Laura. Yeah. One of the things I want to mention is that he said we need to we need to think positive. And I thought about this. Right. And he was like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, n- the death rate is not as severe. So let's talk about that, right? So the mortality of this is not as high as we suspected, mm. which is great news. That's positive. But what he was alluding to is that we should all think we are positive. We have the disease. So that's think about that, right? So all of us collectively think we are infected. How will that change your behavior now? Mm. I love that. Because that'll make us stay in. That'll make us like, you know, you have to think about, would you hang out with your parents right now or, or anyone who's immune compromised? Yeah. And I think that's, that's something, you know, you likely, it's not about, you know, positivity. It's about thinking how we all affect each other. And that's really, I hope, as Julie always mentioned, the blessing, the mess here is that we're all in this together. And all we're asking people to do is to stay home. Like, we're not telling people to go to war. We're just telling people to stay home for two weeks, for as long as this is, right? There's no, our president is not going to dictate when we go out. The virus will di- dictate when we go out, you know? And that's really yeah. something. Um, so I want to answer you, some of the questions, too, you know? Yeah. Because I see a lot of good questions down there. One of the questions was, uh, what is the timeline on a vaccine? Uh, at least a year. I think. Which, yeah, that's what, right, eh? Yeah, it just takes time. And again, it has to be effective and safe, 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 more important, right? Because a vaccine, I'll just break down vaccines a little bit. So a vaccine, a vaccine is a micro dose of the thing that potentially can infect you, right? And so there's that safety really important because the last thing you want to do is cause a disease by giving a vaccine. And again, not everyone is eligible because again, it goes back to that first part, the immune system. Right. If you're immunocompromised and you give a vaccine, the potential of it activating it is really high. And so um, the vaccine is really important. But I think what's really important now, um, at least in New York and other places that are really hot spots, we have to start thinking about. And it's true. You know, we have to get back to work. We have to get the economy going back again. We have to have some way that we can actually safely tell people not by a hunch. As our president said, not, you know, I like Easter. We're going to go out and Easter. It, we have to safely put people back to work. And that is where what they call serology, blood testing can happen. And so similar to some sort of antibody, we will develop an antibody. And you're starting to see that some of in, in, the, in, the, in the press right now, is that the people that have responded and recovered from coronavirus, their blood have antibodies. Mm, and that's what yeah. you're trying to do, right? Give someone else who has the disease an antibody. So right they now. transfuse their blood yeah. if they match? Yeah, just technically it's called plasma. It's a plasma yeah. change, right? And so you, you give that person, the person's plasma who has recovered from coronavirus to someone who is actively coronavirus. But that is also, you can actually test from your blood test if you have an antibody. 
Oh, so therefore, if you have an antibody, then you know, which, again, that test is not yet done yet. Right. But once you have developed an immune response defined as an antibody that can be done through blood, you can actually say you will not get this coronavirus again. That doesn't mean that you can't get the flu or any other virus. It just you won't get this virus again. Yeah, my understanding of the length, and I, I wanted to, uh, um, there's two questions that I want to make sure we get to. One, if you have mild symptoms, should you go to emerge, but hold that one, or should mm-hmm. you go to the hospital? And no. the other one, no, so you shouldn't. So we don't even have to, don't go to emerge, don't overwhelm this call system, your doctor. stay home, don't get people sick, call your doctor. Okay, number two, if you have had it and you've recovered and you didn't even know, but you have, uh, you know, the antibodies that you're talking about, the length of immunity, as far as I understand, is not certain yet, but it is thought to be maybe a year, maybe two. I think probably longer. I, th- I think you, know, you you can. Yeah. So there's a couple of different things. There, there's called um, induced immunity, meaning that you get a vaccine. Uh, yeah. People older than 50 get, you know, the flu shot. Perfect example. Right. The flu shot has its pros and cons. Right. The pros is that it prevents certain people from getting the flu. If that year's strain of the virus that is causing the flu is in the cocktail. Like matches the predicted, what they think is going to be, right? That's essentially what they do exactly. is they prepare. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so that's why sometimes it's about anywhere between 30% to 70% effective, depending on what the cocktail is, right? Because you don't know, like we didn't know coronavirus was going to happen this year. And so if we did, we would have thrown that viral compound into the cocktail, Right. And that's what's going to happen. So next year, we're going to be developing a, a cocktail that has this virus in it as a vaccine. So, OK, so that so it will be preparing us in the future. We'll have this as part of the cocktail. Now, the other question is, if you've had it and you've recovered, are you contagious? No. Right. OK. Ken, now the other question was, if you've had it and you've recovered, can you go out? I like that sneaky little question. They're like, can I party? Am I allowed yeah. to go? So um, technically, you could, right? And that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm proposing. I'm proposing that. Um, that's smart. Yeah. So I'm proposing the fact is this: it's is is is. I would love for everyone to get tested, right? I think that's what South Korea did, right? But to think about the feasibility of that, it's probably not going to happen. And again, using the analogy of the genie, the genie is out of the bottle, right? Assuming that we are positive. Yeah. Okay. Now. How are we going to, as a society, say you're safe to go out and not infect anyone and go back to work? And the only way you really can do that safely is by, again, as a scientist, by having objective measure of immunity. And that's where the serology antibody test happens. So they can test for, you wouldn't test positive for COVID anymore. You test positive for having the antibodies. Exactly. Okay. Because we can't. At this point, Mark, we just we just fucked up like it, it's it's just too late. We're not going to be truly understand the magnitude or the prevalence of this disease because we just don't a number one have the testing available. Even in New York, you know, we, I, I do telemedicine. I have patients calling me saying I have fever. I have a little bit of shortness of breath. I have cough. You know, I'm, I need to get tested. And that's the other thing. I can't get tested. I can't. There's nowhere that I can tell someone to go get tested in New York City with 100% of certainty, except for an emergency department. So, yeah, because you're president. I get to say you're president. I know. You're president. I know. You're president. 
uh, expressed that anyone can get a test now. That's not true. That was total misinformation. I'm sure most people will forget that he said that, but, um, so, it's, okay. throwback, it's a throwback Thursday, you know, put it off you know, today. You know, <laughs> yeah, no one it was a hoax, that. too. You know, he said it was a Democratic hoax when he first started, you know. And um, listen, I don't want to get into politics because ultimately yeah, yeah, we don't have the, to. The, the testing is, is it won't happen. We won't be able to test anyone. And then so that's part of the reason why we're trying to adhere to a, at least a 14 day self-quarantine home quarantine, because at least there that first wave you know, the virus probably lasts anywhere of, again, two to 14 days. So with some some assurance, you can say that after 14 days, maybe 21 days, likely 28 days, you could probably have recovered from it. And you can assume, and I hate assuming in medicine, but you yeah. can assume that you're clear. But again, for me, I think when we're going to ask our, 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 you know, Supermarket, like if we if we ask our society to get back to work, we have to make sure that it's safe to do that. Yeah, agreed. You know? I was reading, I was reading an interesting article that was the same article. I'll, I'll share it with you after, but the, and I'll share it uh, on my story for everyone watching. Uh, but it was talking about how in America and Canada that what happened is is because we've never been through something specifically like this. It's like I've never experienced anything like this before is a common sentence from all of us, except for someone in healthcare. But the, if you were in Hong Kong, that was not the sentence because they've all been very prepared for this because they dealt with SARS. So yeah. they all know social isolation shut down, everyone shuts down and then they contain and they were set up for testing. So the testing thing, you're right. Because when, when you test positive, then you get isolation, you get anyone they were in contact with and you, you know, you, you contain. Um, is there it's a social tracing? It's, 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 it's called social tracing. Social and tracing. So, yeah. So you catch you, your, your, your patient zero, and then you, you, then you try to find who you've been in touch with in the last couple of days, you know, um, is it, it, the home swab. It, yeah. So that's coming. And so yeah. this, the home swab is coming and now what they're trying to push to expedite. Um, the other big problem is that we don't have enough protective equipment in our, in our, in our, in our hospitals and our clinics. Right. And so most people don't realize the magnitude of that problem, because each time you swap someone, you have to regown. Wow. So that's, so there's not enough for that. So if you're swabbing and they're positive, uh, well, you but don't know swabbing, fast enough. Yeah, exactly. Because the test takes anywhere between three to anywhere between three to 10 days to come back to you currently. I heard and there's then, a one hour test that just got approved. They're, they're, they are. But again, proving again, the approval and the dissemination of it, Two different things. Again, we have enough stuff, but getting it to the frontline people is a problem. Um, yeah. Now, the other thing is that there, there, there's a thing called to self-test. And so that's what they're trying to promote now, where you just simply pull up, show up, and you test yourself. So therefore, the, the, the provider doesn't have to regown each time. In Vancouver, we have a drive-through one. So yeah. like for only frontline healthcare workers right now. Yeah. So, and that's the other but, thing. If if you're not really if you're not really sick, and again, call your doctor. Most doctors, if not all doctors, and I do right. And so I, I've and that's one thing again positive here is that we we are I'm board certified to practice medicine in, in New Jersey, Manhattan, and in Massachusetts because I have licenses in those countries in those states. But because of the the regulations right now, um, we are able to offer telemedicine across state lines. 
which is really brand new because we're technically not licensed to practice in the U.S. We're licensed that's, to practice. It's kind country. of weird because your test itself is national. Yeah. And you would be allowed to practice medicine in Canada, you know, if you went and applied and did the things. Um, so that's really fascinating. I have found that interesting about psychologists, too, that they that if their patient moves there to another state, they can't stay with them. I'm like, but they just built a secure attachment with someone like that goes against the whole premise of building a relationship. Like for physicians, mm -hmm. like I know in some of the research, it's not physicians that make the most mistakes that get sued the most. It's the ones who spend the least amount of time with their patients, the ones who are sort of me mechanistic, which again, there's limits to the healthcare system that, that make mm -hmm. that sometimes real. So it's, it's about that personal part, that, that humanness. Yeah. And that's why I love you. I mean, you're my local doctor. When I go to New York, you've saved me a few times from the ear infection. <laughs> Holy fuck, that was hell. Um, okay, so I have a couple because I know that you're very much about the human experience, too. And so I just wanted people to be mindful of, one, you talked about there's a pandemic of fear. And yeah. that fear causes our us to go into fight, flight, freeze, which causes immune suppression. And so... I'm curious because I know that one, this, this, this experience of being isolated, right? Because I am isolated, but I'm not because I mean, you and I have FaceTimed a few times, you know, mm -hmm. I FaceTime with friends. I had a little dinner party with some friends the other day. So I feel it, but I'm not getting that touch. Yeah. Um, and so what can people do to, cause one, you have to hold the fear because it's real, but how can, what practices can they do to be grounded and, and try to, uh, enliven their immune system? What supplements can they take? Yeah, what, sure. like what type of stuff like that? Sure. Yeah, all right. Great. So I think one of the things, you know, now, um, I just want to, as you were saying that I thought about like Virgil's classic quote is that, um, health is the greatest wealth. Mm. Right. And, and I think, you know, um, we are often panicked, you know, not only because of the actual virus that's happening about it, it's also another panic of, Oh shit. Do I have a job? Oh shit. You know, what's going to happen to my yeah. rent? Do I need to pay my rent? They, you, you, we have all those other fears that are real again, and you, you have to hold that space, you know, uh, which is really important. And so one of the things I say, and if I can Mark for like literally three minutes, yeah. just go through my, oh, my it. fresh, my fresh prescription. Dude, okay? fresh men, my favorite company, my favorite doctors, your oh. wife, one of my favorite humans. <laughs> Me too. Um, and so holding that fear is really important. And then I think what happens, I think a lot of fear is control-based, right? And it's this lack of control, like what's going to happen to the virus? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen? And I say this is an opportunity for you to look inward and take control. And one of the models that Fresh Med has is that self-care is the best form of health care. Again, self-care is the best form of health care. So don't wait for your doctor to take care of you. You take care of yourself. So therefore, the doctor doesn't have to do that much. He just has to supplement you, you know. Preventative. Preventative, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when FRESH is an acronym for what we call the five ingredients or the five pillars of health, um, and it's food, relaxation, exercise, sleep, and happiness. And there's no better time that, than to d dive into that. And so when it comes to food, you know, we talk about immunity. We talk about things that are um, um, are really important to optimize our immune immunity. And so there are supplements. Um, there's some studies about vitamin C, zinc, um, that are really popular right now. And there's some in, in terms of duration of viruses. Now, not in, 
vitamin C and zinc hasn't been studied with coronaviruses, but in general, vitamin C and zinc have been shown to cut the duration of any viral infection. Yeah. I say, instead of taking a supplement, eat more vitamin C. You know, because I believe that food is medicine. And I think we should all start source? Um, citrus. Oranges. So load up on your citrus. Oranges, lemons, limes. lemons, limes, right? And incorporate that into your cooking. Um, that's the other thing. When it comes to food, this is no better time. I always say, you hear the added, food is medicine, but I also think cooking is medicine. Because yeah, right now, it is very meditative. Exactly. But we don't trust anyone with our food system right now. And so the only way you control what we're putting in our mouth 100% is by you put, you designing what you're going to eat. And so for those people that have, don't know that. how to cook, I would love, you know, this is the time that get into the kitchen and start experimenting. I like my four S's. I call them soups, smoothies, shakes, and stir fries. You don't need to be a Michelin star chef. You can just start playing around, get into the kitchen, open up a cookbook. We all have cookbooks. We're all watching TV cooking shows. You know, we spend six hours watching the cooking show and we spend less than one hour cooking. It's a, it's an interesting sociological phenomenon that's happening right now. Isn't it? Yeah. Number R, R, relaxation. If you never learn how to meditate, start learning how to meditate now. I love, um, it's called, it, it, on Instagram, there's a um, free public health site that I am a global brand ambassador for. It's called the Monday Campaigns. It's called Meatless Monday, oh, yeah. but also De-Stress Monday. So De-Stress Monday has De-stress these beautiful... Monday. Yeah, they have beautiful gifts that, again, it's about breath control um, and breath work. And it's really simple. Um, and remember, every three seconds intrusive thought comes into your mind, especially when you're stressed. They probably drop down to two. It's normal. Accept it and then clear it and then go back to your breath. And de-stress money has really interesting gifts that you don't have to think about how you're doing it. If you haven't picked up E, yoga is important. I, I bring up yoga because yoga, I call it a, a moving meditation. And for those E people for exercise, right? E for exercise, yeah. yeah. And so I'm bringing it old school, right? Because our gyms are closed. Yes. And so I'm, I'm doing push-ups, sit-ups, dips, jumping jacks. I'm bringing it back to the calisthenic days of the 1980s. Which, which hit training is like incredibly good for you because it's short bursts. It's so good for you. You retain a high metabolism throughout the day. It increases your immunity. I mean, exercise, come on, people. If there's ever a time, now's the time. You have to. And that's the other thing. I often hear, just, Mark, it's like you're leading me right into the next one. S, sleep. I love you. Right? And so uh, when you think about sleep, people are like, I don't have time to sleep. Man, if you don't have a job, and I'll respect that a lot of people are out there, healthcare workers, supermarket, grocery stores, pharmacists, frontline workers, they're out there working. So- Again, you know, mad love, mad respect to them. Yeah, but so much if love. you don't, take a nap. Nap. Like, this what a is permission the time. to have a nap, hey? Like that's, I love that Sleep we have in. to get you to prescribe it. Can you prescribe these things, please? Do you have a pad? <laughs> if it comes on your pad with, with writing we can't read, because that would be very yeah. physician of you. It's like sleep. It's like, what? What does that say? Well, you know, that's kind of known for, right? I, I, I write prescriptions for this kind of stuff. Seven to eight hours. Those that pe- people that sleep less than six hours a night have a 13% increased risk of dying. So wow. if you need to catch up on your sleep, do it now. You have permission to do this. Last but not least is H, happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where I think you and Julie and me and others vibe on, right? And this is why we're, we are friends. 
because other people matter, right? Chris Peterson says it best. Yes. Um, and oftentimes, you know, this is where we talk about physical distancing, not social distancing and isolation, because surround yourself with people that really are important to you. Um, I don't talk to you about this because you're the king of it. And oftentimes, Julie mentions finding the bless in the mess, because there's always mm. some sort of bless in this mess. Um, and so that's kind of my prescription, my fresh five uh, prescription for um, self-care. So for the people watching this and listening, because the people will be listening to this too, where can people find Dr. Rob Graham? So you can find me in New York City. You can find me on the web. You can find me on Instagram. No, you can find me at freshmednyc.com on all handles, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and what's something I'm really excited about is this last thing I want to talk about, because one of the things that we, and you kind of made, made me and Julie think about this, is that, you know, I, I, I see a lot of patients, I take care of a lot of people, and a lot of them don't live in New York City. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, I love I'm New York because, yeah, because so everyone seems to come through, right? That's true. It's great. So they kind of, they kind of come, we hang out in my beautiful office and my beautiful clinic, and then, uh, we can do the testing and you go home and you can figure it out. But then the ripple effect of it, and two things I'm really excited about is that about six months ago, a supermarket company, which now are our frontline heroes too, right? Because they're out there every day oh my gosh, yes. loading that shit up, you know? And um, I'm actually, I've dedicated <clears throat> myself to one company that's um, is been open throughout this whole time. And I'm their kind of on-call doctor because of the fears of, of, of coronavirus. We started an online educational program. I call Fresh Med U. Um, it's called Fresh Med University, FMU. It's all about you. It's, it's anywhere between a, a four-week course and a 26-week course where we introduce this fresh concept of medicine uh, over the first four weeks and then deep dive into this art and science that my wife and I, I think, really have an interesting perspective because I can give you the opinion and the art, but also the science behind all of these modalities um, so that's really exciting. And Julie and I are just got off the phone yesterday with a publisher, uh, Simon Schuster, that has picked up our book. Yes. Congratulations. So, so I know, man. We're so excited about that. And your wife can be found at Finding My Way Home. Finding My Way Home. And her iBook called Positively Psyched, uh, where, again, it's really looking, diving into the 26 letters of the alphabet and finding um, health and well-being in each of those letters. Well, Rob, I want to extend a giant thank you to first all of the frontline healthcare workers, first responders like yourself and all the, as you said, the grocery store workers, the people who are making the world turn while other people get, are sitting still, ideally. Yeah. And, and that's such a gift. I'm so grateful. So thank you to you. I love oh, you. You're love one you. of my favorite people. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to share this knowledge so that we all are being informed. Rob, thank you so much. Everyone go follow Rob at Fresh Med NYC so you can stay up to date on all the fresh stuff and also um, on information around what's happening now because you keep, I've been watching your stories and stuff, you keep people informed on what's going on and what's the best uh, ways to exist in this crazy world right now. Awesome, brother. Yeah. And listen, thank you so much for the opportunity and um, let's get together physically once this gets over. Um, oh, for you yeah, and for your will. family as well, brother. <laughs> you too. Love you, bro. All right. Love, bro. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.